0: Log Talk Radio. Celebrating their 20th year in radio broadcasting, with news not heard in the news, the International Taz and Pala Show interviews experts from all walks of life, bridging research and personalized journeys revealing new ways to unleash life with a passion of a heartbeat. And now, here's Taz and Paula. Oh,
1: Well, here's to a magnificent day or evening to every one of you, wherever you are. Uh, We're global, and so that's why we say that. Our returning guest, you know him well, if you've been with us as a regular listener of ours, as we share him often for his gifts of maintaining or increasing your eyesight or just putting an overall healthy balance in your step, whether it is needed at this moment. Mier's the doc for brilliance. Meir Schneider, Ph.D., a worldly teacher's teacher, making regular global news since 2007 when he was announced as one of the top 10 most inspirational Israelis on a popular national television show in Israel called The Best Ten. Millions of viewers watched Meir as he shared the magnificence of a human body and what it's capable of. We're so excited to know that there is truly more than hope available. And when Mier's around, that becomes quite a fact. You are listening to the International
0: Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Well, Taz, uh, now in May, the second edition of Mayer's book, Vision for Life, Ten Steps to Natural Eyesight Improvement, is being released. This book Mm. has already sold over 12,000 copies and has been translated into eight different languages his new edition highlights recent research including studies about uh preventing and uh treating vision problems in children and uh teens and includes recommendations for preventing eye strain even in, in children who's you know it's on their iPhone all the time and their iPad so <laughs> that's really has a lot of eye strain so um so he he's talking about that uh Mir is Will be traveling throughout the U.S. internationally this year, and he will also be doing some social free events. On April the 25th, he's going to be at East West Bookstore, and on April 30th, he's going to be on at the uh, East West Bookstore in Mountain View, California, and uh, April 30th, he's going to be at Other Avenues Grocery Co- Co- Cooperative in San Francisco, California. So let me see if this is Mir that just came in. Hold on. Okay. Hi. Hey. Mir, is that you?
2: Hello. Hello Mir. Do I have to to press any button or no? Oh, yeah. oh.
0: We didn't know if that was you. We didn't recognize your phone number, so so <laughs> we're on the on the air live. Welcome to our <laughs> show again. Um Mayor, we're we totally live? glad that you
1: continue to bring up such uplifting gifts to all of our listeners, and we're going to just welcome you back. You are just our team, our family team here for the universe.
2: Thank you very, very much. I'm so excited um, because the, the second edition of the book, Vision for Life, and by the way, this is the first radio show that I have on that edition. As, I don't know, but I remember that you were the first radio show that I had on my uh, first edition of Vision for Us. Uh, this second edition has so much more in it. Just as you mentioned before, Paula, we're talking about children and what happens with the vision. And one of the things that I can say is that we finally have a research that backs up scientifically everything that I'm saying. Um that uh, the um, periphery of uh, most kids who look at computer, in these days kids look at computer often from a very young age, uh, gets compromised because we look uh, strenuously in front. And there are more and more problems related to it. Uh, to begin with, I will tell you something controversial. I don't think kids should learn to read and write as early as they do, because in the first place, in the, in that age, normally when kids learn that at the age of five and six, the, the eye is passing to a phase of being hypermetropic, which means it's farsighted. And only uh, at the age um, uh, of seven, the eye becomes Uh, completely normal and sees very well. And that's when they really should start to learn to read and write. And if they learn to read and write prior to it, the letters should be um, uh, basically very sizable. So I understand the world of schools where they basically teach them many, many games. It might not be for that reason and for uh, understanding... um, that the eye is not amyotropic yet. It's not normal. Uh, So what happens, Mayor? Mayor,
1: mayor, does that mean that people, that the kids are really unable to see the letters properly because they're farsighted?
2: They see it, but not as clearly. And so they learn to strain to look at them. And uh, in the past, they used to have children books much larger than they have this day. They still do, but not as, uh, not as uh, large and I really think they shouldn't be even reading and writing at the age of, of uh, five or six it doesn't make them more literate they can hear stories their hearing is very acute they can uh, stretch their imagination and at the age of seven they can start and read and write when the eye is completely perfect so what happens is they strain so the periphery Gets, uh, shrunk. I mean, any time that you strain, you don't pay attention to, to the sides. You don't pay attention to what's up and what's down. And so as the kids are straining, the periphery gets compromised. Now, here is the research that was made. Uh, two physical therapists who were advanced students in my work. They took um, uh, classes from people that I trained in Brazil. Um, but are also very advanced physical therapists, went to a school and taught uh, 38 kids eye exercises, and they did all kinds of statistics, and the result was that 40% of the kids improved their periphery significantly, and um, uh, 36 out of the 38 kids improved their reading by at least one line within two months on the chart, and they didn't even show them all the exercise that I showed them. They did few simple exercises just to make it scientifically that the child, that the parents and the teachers kept uh, practicing with the kids. So in two months, they've increased their periphery by a very significant uh, 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 percentage. And that is so important. I mean, to tell you how much our periphery get compromised, I'll never forget. Uh, with one of my uh, book campaigns uh, going from um, Manhattan to Brooklyn. We stayed in Brooklyn in a hotel because Manhattan is next to impossible in terms of prices. But I was working in Manhattan and teaching classes in Manhattan. So as I took the train from Manhattan to Brooklyn, um, I saw one lady sitting down looking at a movie at her iPhone. And, you know, there were about 50 people in the we were in and most of them were coming and going we had a long ride and she was sitting and looking at the movie not noticing one of them and we were looking i mean there were all kinds of uh, interesting characters there and i was thinking to myself if she would sit in the jungle and look at the same iphone and look at the movie that interested the, her there um what are the chances that within two or three days she wouldn't be eaten. (laughs) I mean, for (laughs) a million years, we developed a periphery that is incredible, that basically you sense what's around you. And right now, with all the computer work and the reading work, we suppress it. So when I've written my book, Vision for Life, I first started with seven principles of natural vision improvement. uh, And the principles are relaxation, adjustment to light frequencies, Um, developing uh, capacity to look at a distance because most people just don't do that, Uh, looking uh, peripherally, as I was mentioning right now, or seeing peripherally is what I mean, and um, uh, balancing the use of the two eyes and then uh, uh, working on body and eye coordination. And right now, I added to it, Uh, Balancing the use within each eye and also adding uh, something that I should have added in the first one. And this is more blood flow to the head and uh, and more blood flow to the eyes. Because what happens with most blinding disease today, and just today I met a very nice guy that has a beginning of wet macular degeneration, means there is hemorrhage in the macula. But that's a result of not having enough blood flow to the head, that causes that problem. And it causes it because when you don't have enough blood flow, you create capillaries. And it happens to be that in the case of macular degeneration, the capillaries are imperfect, so they leak, and the leakage uh, of that blood drowns photoreceptors. Now, again, I think it could be stopped without injections or surgery simply by bringing more blood to the head, and that can only be done by loosening the neck. And that, so I should have written that already, but what I want to say is that more and more people compromise the vision. the new generation will see way worse than us, way worse, and the generation after them will see even worse than that because of all modern technology unless mayor uh, we I wonder able, what?
1: mayor, I wonder if maybe. Uh, parents might be taking their kids to get eyeglasses if they're really young because they're not seeing properly. I wonder if that's the case. And if someone has eyeglasses, then that also stymies their eyes, you know.
2: There um, is more than that than meets the eyes. Let's put this, <laughs> sorry to, to <laughs> make a pun here. I mean, you go, you, you don't see well the board today, right? And it could be for a a million reasons. One of them could be that you're stressed. You don't see the board well. Another one could be that you're tired. Another one one could be that you didn't eat well. Well, you're being sent to the nurse. The nurse checks your eyes and says, hey, you need glasses. So instead of waiting that out, they're being sent to have glasses immediately. And the result is that... um, the eyes get weaker, because any time you go to an optometrist, uh, most people get a bit stressed when they're being measured. And we found, and that is one of the biggest discoveries of Dr. Bates, who is really our original uh, teacher and mentor, we found that basically stress affects your vision, there's no question about it. Uh, Who doesn't know it is an ophthalmologist and optometrist. Well, stress definitely affects your vision, and once you wear glasses, it's sometimes hard to adjust to them. People have giddy feelings. They become dizzy. They don't really um, uh, see well through them. So they're being told, adjust to your glasses. And how you adjust to your glasses? By weakening your eyes. So in the past, we simply had many people with myopia on near sightedness of this. In the present, we have so many more people with what's called high myopia, which means that they have a huge prescription of seven, eight, nine, ten diocrites as they grow up. And the result is that the eyeball becomes longer and longer, the retina becomes thin, and eventually there is detachment. And so, what I'm saying is, best is to do what I wanted to tell you about my friend Gina. And she wasn't a child when it happened, but she passed through a terrible divorce. And she saw the whole world through a curtain. It was fuzzy for her. And um, everybody told her, go get glasses. And she decided not to get glasses. And that was when she was 25. And now she's 67. And she reads the menu to her friends. (laughs) And something that she should remember, Paula sees well. And I know of another lady by the name of Denise in Jerusalem that was uh, 72 and she read all the small letters and the doctor, instead of saying, hey, Horace, that's impossible. You should wear glasses. You're 72. And he was very mad at her for seeing as well as yourself. She broke his routine. <laughs> you know. But that's what people expect. So now, the children I that... Time for us Go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, the, right. children oh, that start reading, the children that start reading too early and they're stressing their eyes, well, that's change the shape of their eye?
2: Exactly. It will create a freeze and with time it will create myopia. Because if you don't see well because the eyeball is a bit short, it's like a part of, of one's development. There is definitely uh, hyperopia or hypermetropia, which means the eye becomes short. It's a part of what nature does to us between the age of five and seven. And at the age of seven, your eye becomes normal. What happens is at the age of two and a half, you have incredibly good vision. And you still keep that vision very good, but at the age of five, it's not exactly the same. You have to understand uh, the body experiments a lot with itself because the growth in that time is huge. I mean, you are growing and growing and growing. Your metabolism keeps changing, and the eye changes with it. And what happens is we're not paying attention to our evolution and we're not studying it enough. And so I understand all the child psychologists that believe that in order to catch up with all the developments in the world and to, um, to have information and all that, we need to read a lot. By the way, I couldn't disagree with it more because we're in a generation where we have a lot of shallow knowledge simply because we read a lot. And now people don't even read, you know. I've heard now from a professor in State University that I lectured in his classes um, that um, uh, people just look at uh, Google and stuff of that nature. And still, they put their eyes in, uh, on, on the screen of their iPhone or their, uh, or, or their computer. They, what they do is that they Strained eyes, no end. And strain always leads to a problem. And that's something that medicine does not know at all. Let's put it this way.
1: Mayor, when you talk to parents and you say this kind of thing, what has been their response?
2: It's like, okay, 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 goodbye. <laughs> Most don't pay attention. Now, the question, the question is, the question is who are the parents I'm talking to? When I met yesterday a girl with uh, severe amblyopia where one of her eyes saw 2.5% normal with glasses and the other eye with glasses sees twenty-twenty, the parents listened to me very intense, intensely because I got her to see eventually 10% in that session and uh, got her great relaxation in her eyes and and they don't want to visit uh, the physicians anymore because we did everything for a playful way. For example, we, instead of patching, the doctor told her to patch her strong eye, which is her left eye, and to patch it very firmly and not to see even one bit of light. and I totally disagree with mm-hmm. it. I told her to put a very small piece of paper uh, uh, glued, you know, with a masking tape to the bridge of her nose and pay attention to so the periphery of the left eye while she's looking centrally with the right eye. And the girl jumped on a trampoline and did all kinds of work with a sort of small obstructive lens. And her vision had improved and her mood was so good. And the parents had wonderful mood. They came to me all the way from Auburn and they want to come to me regularly because they see immediately that uh, the change in the daughter is great. So, you know, parents like this, and uh, parents in uh, seminars where I lecture, they really care to know what I have to say. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm on your show. That's one of the reasons I'll be in the East West on the 25th of the month. I want to bring it to people who want to listen. There are more people who are listening. And, uh, you know, I'm proud. I'm a proud author. You know, uh, North Atlantic uh, is allowing me to have a reprint of my book, which is not uh, that easy. And they're so happy that my first book sold 11,000 uh, copies. But, you know, <laughs> it took you two and a half years to do that. I really want to see my book sell uh, in the hundreds of thousands because I really want to see a revolution. And the only way to get a revolution is more and more people thinking the way that I think. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's it eventually will catch up because the amount of problems that cannot be solved by medicine related to vision problems. It's not shrinking, it's growing quite a bit. And we're getting broke trying to pay for all those sophisticated surgeries that to begin with could have been prevented if people would work uh, more properly with the vision. And that's true for young people and old people. But I'm just telling you again, Taz, you know, so today eh, you expect at the age of 60 to have cataract, you expect at the age of 80 to have macular degeneration, you expect to go blind at the age of 90 or so, and hopefully you don't ex- You shouldn't expect that. I'm just saying that's what happens, and people expect that. I know about many 90-year-olds that see pretty good. But uh, I think that in the future what happens in the 90s will, ha- will happen in people's 40s and 50s. That's what's going on right now, and I think it's very alarming, and most people don't understand that. The kind of way that we're using our eyes is unacceptable. Unacceptable. You, you have to compensate for life. I mean, because life doesn't demand that we walk, then people understand they should walk, even though they don't have to walk. They can drive from place to place. You don't walk, you, your heart is not beating enough. That is a, a common understanding. You know, that understanding didn't exist in the 60s. I mean, people who, who walked and ran and, and, and tried to change the diet and improve their health we consider to be stupid health freaks, but now everybody understands. That's how you guard your heart. So that—that's what uh, what happens with the body. Of course, this should be treated, This bowl. should
1: be treated, mire, This should be treated like, like it's uh, candy. <laughs> it's candy for your soul, because you can walk and because you can see. I mean, this is the gift that you know. I know. It's better than the sweets of
0: life as people just do, I know your health is is the most well, important thing
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely I agree with you and and so I um, really hope that more and more people will understand that we need to compensate for uh, the modern life that we live, for example, to look at a distance because we so much look for near. And, Paula, where you live, the distance is just breathtaking, isn't it? I mean, to look at all the yes. wonderful mountains. And uh, I am in a good place where uh, I would always say that the biggest room in my school is the ocean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we run on the beach and we look at the waves. So to look at the waves and at the mountains of marine, and I tell you... <laughs> Another thing that is very important is to adjust to light frequencies. Uh, People wear sunglasses. People are indoors. The medicine is scaring us and telling us, hide from the sun all you can. You know what happened? I mean, first of all, all the statistics that you have skin cancer because of being in the sun, you know, there's partial truth to them, and they're mainly false. More people get melanoma not being in the sun than being in the sun. And I'm not saying that there isn't uh, a moment where you're in the sun too much. There is such a thing. But most of us are sun-deprived. We need the sun for our heart. We need the sun for our bones. We need the sun for our muscles and nerves. This is very important. It's, uh, one of my muscular dystrophy patients told me the most important food is light, and the second food is water, and then there is food. And I think that we really need it if we do it in a good way. I understand you wear sunglasses when you go um, uh, to a sunrise, when you, when, you, when you drive and the sunrise is in your eyes or the sunset is in your eyes, fine. So you'd be a safe driver or you want to wear sunglasses in a party or something. But most of the time, you shouldn't wear sunglasses. And my heart was really blo- broken a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was walking in Mount Amopaya. And um, as I was walking in Mount Tamapaya, you probably both of you know about that mountain, right? Yes. Yes, yes sir. Yes, And you, know, in you go to the top of the mountain, and, and the view is just unbelievable. That's where I love to do eye exercises. That and in a place called Lens End in San Francisco, where you sit and look at all this beautiful, beautiful ocean, you see the bridge. The top of mountain mobiah you see so much. It's just amazing. Well, I loved it, except that I saw that 85% of the people were walking with sunglasses. To begin with, they don't see the same coloration and use that other people can see without them. To begin, to sit the second to it, the face becomes pretty tense. And so the way that we hide from the sun and we take away the colors of nature, really affects the eyes adversely. So we need to adjust to the sunlight. And at the same time, we need to adjust to the night light too. Um, right now, I'm sitting, my window is open. Thank God I'm not seeing city lights in my backyard. that other places we do. And it's so pleasant for the eyes for me to talk to you with an open window, fresh ocean air, And very, very nice sky. The twilight is so wonderful. These days when there's even a sunset, people turn the light on. And truth of the matter is that our periphery gets stimulated in the dark. One advice I give to everyone, don't turn the light in the corridor. Don't turn the light in the hall when you go to sleep. Learn your way to the bathroom and don't turn the light on. And you know, it was found uh, with uh, astounding numbers that kids who keep light in the hole get higher rates of nearsightedness in an early age. So it's important to adjust to the light. It's important to adjust to the darkness. And that gets the retina to work from both sides. The center part of the retina adjusts to the strong um, light of the sun. And the peripheral part of the retina adjusts to the to the weak light of the night. And it really affects our pupils beautifully, and it affects our whole nervous system because the nervous system very much connects to the pupils. The pupils have to be small in the daytime. And if they are wide, it means that we're stressed. So I, I want to say that adjusting to light frequencies, the polarity of these frequencies, is very important.
0: Now, I think you said on our um, show on a past show, that when people wear dark glasses, their skin doesn't know that there's sun, so their skin is not protected because of the dark glasses. Is that that That
2: true? You're having the retina. I'll tell you exactly what happens. In the retina, uh, there is um, a layer that darkens the light. It's called the melanin layer. And the melanin is also the pigment that protects the skin. So when you wear sunglasses, uh, eventually you produce less melanin. And when you produce less melanin, it affects the skin and they've shown with two aborigine villagers, uh, villages, that after the medical profession, it really emphatically um, and honestly believes that one should wear sunglasses. I know it because one, uh, some of my good friends who even believe in holistic health, still believe in sunglasses, you know. Uh, good ophthalmologist friend, I mean. Well, <laughs> what happens is that people who wear sunglasses uh, quite often um, do not create that melanin. And so in those two villages, um they found incredible amount of people who had sunburn, first time in Aboriginal history. So there's no question that you affect the skin adversely when you wear sunglasses. But uh, if I go to the next point, we talked about looking at a distance. The lens, the natural lens of the eye, is responsible uh, for us to see very clearly from near and very clearly from far. We see clearly from far because the lens is flat and clearly from near because the lens is round. We are way too much into rounding our lens because we sit in rooms. Uh, Houses used to be uh, people's shelter. Now they're their dwelling. So basically people sit in rooms a lot, so you don't have much distance, and then they read. So there's even less distance. So, for that reason, we must look at a distance. Otherwise, it makes sense to me that most people in the 60s and 70s should get cataracts because the lens is not active enough, so it starts to degenerate. And, you know, 94% of the cases, cataract surgeries really work well. They remove the lens, Uh, put an implant in bed, and people. Hello? We're here. And people see better. Okay and people see better. But um, there is those 6% where people become blind from it or have tremendous visual compromise, and from those 94%, 50% of them throughout life will have all kinds of problems due to the cataract surgery. Many will have glaucoma. Many will have retinal detachment with time. I mean, it weakens the eye. There's no question. Even if the surgery was successful at the time, So what I want to say is that looking at a distance really guards your lens, helps it survive more than time. And we should do it at least 20 minutes a day in intervals of four minutes and six minutes at a time and wave our hands to the side. And then um, the next uh, important point is that, again, I was about the periphery. That I think I described pretty good. Uh, that we need to uh, wave our hands to the side. Sometimes it's good to take a small piece of paper, like um, two inches wide and one inch long, and uh, stick it uh, with a masking tape. You can round the masking tape to the bridge of the nose and wave the hands to the side. And that could be a real great thing. We're going to definitely do it in the two sessions that um, uh, uh, Paula announced in uh, east west bookshop and uh, in other avenues and Good. it's very very important yeah, very important that we do it. Do you remember Taza bud it in the session that you were in?
1: <laughs> I know it was very everyone was shocked. Let me tell you, everyone was shocked what what a difference it made in just a few minutes and uh, I'm so glad you're going to be doing that in, at the event at East West Bookshop because um, just to let people know, that's Monday, April the twenty eight Excuse me, April the 25th, from 7:30 to 9, and that's in Mountain View, California. And um, by the way, you can call call and reserve a space. Um, there is a phone number six five zero nine eight eight ninety eight hundred. Again, that number for East West Bookstore is six five zero. and uh, you won't want to miss this. I mean, everybody was was smiling from ear to ear, let me tell you. Uh, It was shocking to know that little pieces of paper hooked up to your face (laughs) can alter
0: things. You can leave with a a lifetime. What
2: they do is they block your central vision, so you have a, your brain has a chance to engage with the peripheral vision. All those exercises are simple. We sometimes have more um, sophisticated exercises. We work with red and green glasses and get the eyes to separate. And this, in this new book, we have a special page for red and green glasses that people can work with, you know, that, those three-dimensional glasses that uh, you wear in movies, in theaters. You can use them for eye exercises where with one eye you see the lines and the other eye you see light and where y- you can read only with your weaker eye the print if the weaker eye looks through the green and the stronger eye looks through the red. This is a bit more sophisticated, described well in the book, but the point of separating the two eyes, preventing the eye which always dominates from dominating all the time, getting the weaker eye to start and work, that makes a huge, huge difference. And I think we have to understand that everything comes with a price. You wear glasses, you see better. There's no question about that. The price that you pay is it to limit your peripheral vision, that you basically have a one focal point that you look through, so you prevent yourself from using the totality of your eye, basically. And uh, the result is eventually that the eye and the visual system become frozen. And that is the thing that we need to stop uh, from happening. We need to to lead to a situation that the eyes don't freeze anymore. And one thing I want to say is that on May 6th and 7th, Friday, Saturday, we're going to have a self-healing through movement, a natural vision improvement at the School for Self-Healing from 10 to 5.30. And on August 12th to August 31st, We'll have a training course for those who want to train themselves for life without work or start to learn a whole new profession of becoming teachers of self-healing. People really are interested in it all over the world.
0: So are well, you traveling of- other than the, the local area? Are you going to other countries soon?
2: Um, at this point, I'm basically only going to the U.S. and Canada. Um, and uh, uh, in the U.S., I'm going to be only in New York and in D.C. And then I'm going to be in Montreal and Saint-Marie in Canada. But uh, in August, I'm going to be in New Jersey again for the World Massage Conference. And on September, I'm going to be in, um, uh, in Seattle, sorry, in Washington, Seattle, and in um, Oregon, at uh, the, the Oregon School of Massage. Seattle, I'm going to be in a very nice place, the Bastier University, which is the Bastier University is a very known naturopathic college, and I'm very popular among the naturopaths uh, because it's such a different thing to teach eye exercise. So I'll teach a couple-day workshop there. But then later on, uh, in October, I'm teaching a six-day workshop in Germany, um, You can hardly call it Germany. It's the Black Forest, and it's right by Switzerland. Uh, And so I probably will fly to Switzerland because it's only one hour away from there. And it's also on the French border. So we get people from many parts of Europe to that uh, wonderful place in the Black Forest, which is gorgeous. I'm also going to be in Italy prior to it because the Bates Association sponsored a very big seminar with me. Many people in Italy really want to work with me. And there are many, many Bates teachers in Italy, which is wonderful. And um, I definitely am considering going to Israel because my book is only translated now to eight languages. And uh, with the, well, actually, it's in eight languages, translated to seven. In, uh, I think that on November it's going to be in nine languages. It's going to be translated to Hebrew as well. So far it's in Spanish, Italian, French, uh, German, Czech language. Portuguese and Chinese, uh, plus English. Yeah. So now it's going to be also in Hebrew, and I really hope that it's only the beginning of bringing this work and this message to the world. And unfortunately, the exposure is not big enough. And I, I'm keep I keep crossing my fingers and I'm keep waiting to see your show becoming than you cnn you know <laughs> big one <laughs> it, it it would have been a very nice thing if it happened because the two of you are marvelous and i i say truly you know you're just amazing ladies with amazing energy and uh it would be nice if more and more people would acknowledge it and you would be heard by many millions of people because i think you can make a difference
1: Thank you, Mayor. Mayor, you know what I was thinking. Are, do you have your books available for people on the uh, tw- um, the 25th of April at East West Bookstore, so they can pick up a book then?
2: Yes. What I want to say is that the the date of publication is May 3rd, but I uh-huh. uh, demanded and requested my publisher to send to East West Bookshop 40 books. So Eastwood Bookshop will be the first bookstore that sells my books um, okay. because it's going to be my first lecture. So yeah. um, I'm going to lecture in um, two wonderful places in um, New York. I'm going to be under the WBAI uh, Hospices. I have a wonderful lady who's interviewing me there the name of Kathy Davis. And that's a very uh, popular radio, you know, similar to KPFA here. In that sense, it's Pacifica Radio. And I have many good friends in WPFW, D.C., and they are going to have uh, a huge um, uh, turnout because I remember when my first book came out, we had as many as 200 people who came to a lecture I gave, which for me in this country is a huge amount. In Brazil, the biggest I had is basically 900. I don't have things like this here, but... Normally, my lecture is 50, 60 people, but there is going to be, um, I think in D.C., it's going to be again 200 people. So I think I'm really starting a campaign, and I really want to continue this campaign because I'm campaigning for the health of the world. I do think that most people who sit in the wheelchair shouldn't be there. I do think that most people whose back pain should not have the pain, and I do think that most people with eye problems should have never had them in the first place. And the amount of money that we invest to overcome those problems is gigantic. Uh, we have all this um, debate on um, you know, what kind of coverage we should have for people. But my question is coverage for what? You know, Coverage <laughs> for patchwork, for band-aid approach, for a dangerous way of treating the body so the body can be healed today for bigger problem tomorrow. Or a new approach that tries to work with the mechanism of the body and help the body to get better. We don't have physiotherapy for for the eyes. And the physiotherapy for the body is nice, but it's not kinesthetic enough. It's not working enough the body in a whole new way, which is better. That's what my message is. And I'm really praying that my message will go through, and I'm looking for all the good vibes I can get. Let's go this way. Well, Mayor, well, you know like you often
1: talk you often talk about you know problems with the back and knees, and right now a lot of people are having that problem.
2: No kidding. I mean, the biggest problem that we have with the back and knees is shoes and cement. I could not invent anything better to destroy the knees and the back than shoes and cement. Basically, it stiffens the ankles. It uh, weakens the toes. It puts a jarring um, vibration on the whole body. We need to start and learn to develop muscles we've never developed before. We have more than 600 muscles, with most people using only 50 out of them. That's why my training courses are basically 10 hours long, because we're learning to use parts that we've never used before. I remember the last training that I had, I had a wonderful guy who came to me from Iowa, who used to be the um, the uh, head, the president of the Iowa Massage Therapists, and he and I had very good chemistry always. Uh, and finally, he came to my training, uh, taking a few days for my training from his busy schedule. And he had defective hips from birth, and people said he wouldn't be able to walk, but he walked with a limb. And now his hips became much worse. And the big thing he learned from me in um, 10 hours of training daily is that he can find a way to move his hips that is not offensive to his hips, that is not destroying his hips, that is not too much for him. The learning of kinesthetic awareness, the learning of the movement that your body needs, yearns, and wants to do, the fact that we can allow ourselves to do those movements, that is so basic to everything we do and that's exactly what I want to return to the eyes. You can never prevent most blinding conditions without better blood flow to your neck and head. And by the way, you cannot have good blood flow to your head and neck if you don't loosen up your hips, if you don't loosen up your knees, and if you don't loosen up your ankles. So let me tell you about the case that I had today. I got him to sit against the wall, to move his head from side to side, interlaced his fingers, put them underneath his thighs, and bent forwards. That stretched his back. I've done it, you've done it several times. Then he held his his legs, and moved them from side to side, and he slid from the wall, because he was sitting against the wall with his back, bending his knees. And again, he held his uh, fingers, he interlaced them, and he bent towards the knees, and then after that, he moved his head from side to side, and the movement was so much better. So all the joints, the joints of the back, the joints of the hips, the joints of the legs are all interconnected. And if you want to help your knee, first of all, work on your ankle. Move your foot in a rotating motion. Build up especially the muscles in your shin, the tibialis anterior, it's called, and also the uh, extensor uh, digitalis of your, of your toes. You do that, and then before you know, you loosen up and you strengthen the support to the knee and loosen up the hips as well. Uh, also, standing and doing slight belly dancing to loosen up, that helps a lot. And then putting your leg on a table and bending and trying to touch your foot, and then bending and straightening your knee a bit, that really helps a lot. And if nothing else helps, sit down and massage your knees. Um, some cream over your um, palms, interlace your fingers and massage your, your palms and then massage your knees. And for the hips it's so important to move but when the hip is very stiff sometimes it's good to put some cold on the hip. Many people really hate the cold but it takes away inflammation and it's easier to move it. I get people with hip problems that are candidates for hip replacement in the hot tub in our school work out the jacuzzi, and put a cold hose on the hip while they're moving the legs up and down. I think it makes a huge difference.
0: I know they have, uh, I don't know the name of them, but uh, places you can go that you actually go into a tube and it's like the degrees the are really low and they dip you in there.
2: <laughs>
0: and it's supposed to be for inflammation.
2: Love that one. I did it. I did it 25 years ago, and I think it's a great thing to do. The most important thing, Taz, is to learn how to move in a way that mobilizes you more and doesn't tax you. It means that when you move, you don't feel afterwards that you created pain. If you created pain one time, that the pain will never repeat itself. That is so important, that you move in a way that works for you. So again, for the hips, strengthening the calves, for the knee, strengthening the calves is very, very important. I'm talking especially about the calves and the shin, which is in front of them. Strengthening the thighs is very important. And doing all kinds of work with muscles were never used before. Um, I've heard of somebody when I was teaching a workshop in Israel that told me that his father was told by three surgeons that he has to do a knee replacement. But one One doctor told him, walk backwards on stairs every time you have stairs. Now, never, never walk backwards downstairs. But if you have railing from both sides, walk backwards upstairs. I want to emphasize to the audience, never downstairs because you can fall, and that's not good. But upstairs, if you walk upstairs and you hold the railing from both sides, then your knees can get better. Then he told me that all surgeons told his father it does not need a knee replacement, and his knees were good forever. Well, that was good for his father. For other people, it's a good idea to massage the knees, to cool them. I, for example, think that uh, running inside the ocean and cooling the knees is a fantastic thing. Or in a river, if somebody has a river, somebody has legs uh, to be in cold water and mobilize the knees in cold water really gives them a sense of release. Also, stretching the hamstrings while building up the shins is a wonderful thing for the knees.
0: So going back to the shins, um, what kind of exercise would you do for the shin?
2: Okay, so for example, a person can stand up and let me show you the opposite of the shins. You, you lift the heels up and down that is a good exercise for the calf. But if you keep the heels on the floor and you lift the feet up and down, that's exercise for the shin. And of course, it's way more difficult than exercise for the calves, pay attention to it. If you just lift the heels up and down, that's not hard at all. But if you lift the toes, you keep the heels on the ground, That's difficult, and it becomes progressively more difficult, and most people don't have those muscles. I mean, from people that walk high heels all the time, from the fact that most of our shoes are high heels. I remember I once bought a pair of shoes that can hardly be found these days, where basically the toes are higher and the heels are lower, and the salesman was afraid of me buying them. He said, don't wear them too much. Well, I'm wearing them. They're actually beautiful. Um, They're black. And they look great. And I tell you, I feel so comfortable walking with them because I run on the beach on a regular basis bare feet. And as I run on the beach bare feet, I really strengthen my calves and my shins. Returning to the eyes, you know, my teacher used to tell me that if I want to see better, I must strengthen my shins. I didn't understand what she was talking about, but now I'm getting it. If you have weak toes, you'll have tense ankles, and then you have weak sheens, and then you'll have stiff hips, and then you'll have stiff uh, lower back, middle back, uh, upper back, and neck, and jaw. So the neck becomes tight, and the jaw becomes tight, not enough blood comes to the eyes. And she understood that for my eyes to comply to the eye exercise I was doing, I need better blood flow. And so, I used to be so fatigued in my childhood, partially because of the incredible nystagmus, the involuntary movement in my eyes, partially because all was strained for me. I mean, looking with 1% vision was very effortful for me. But when I've learned to get more blood to the eyes, my fatigue started to decrease in lips and mouths. And that's how I start to develop vision, and to just give the audience a sense, I build up vision from 1% to 70% vision of normal eyes. So that is what's so important to me, that vision can improve, but you have to work on the body in order to build up better vision uh, in your eyes. You cannot ignore poor blood flow and think that that's what's going to help you, that simply doing eye exercise is going to help you. The other side of it is true, too, that in order to help your body, you have to do all that we need to do for the eyes. For example, in my case, I used to look at the whole world as if it is one object, and I learned to look from detail to detail. I'll I'll never forget, you know, even the girl I worked with this um, Sunday, whose parents brought her to me from Auburn, and you know, she um, didn't look with her right eye, with a lazy eye. So we put an obstructive lens. Basically, we took small uh, sunglasses and we broke one of the sides, which is the, or we removed the lens of the right side. And we put a duct tape over the lens in the left side. And we got her to bounce on a trampoline. She loved it, to catch and throw a ball. And then I've given her a chart which is called the shifter. All it is looks almost like a piano. It's lines, and she looked at each line, line black, line white, line black, line white, and she looked from line to line, and then she started to look at windows, and then she started to look at letters, and letters that she could only see from something like half a foot. She could end up seeing from three yards, from like ten feet. It was just amazing to see. The parents were amazed, and I was so happy. I wasn't amazed because I've seen things like this again and again. And so it's very important to loop from detail to detail. And I told those parents about the biggest success I had with kids, one of the two or three biggest successes. Um, a girl was diagnosed with cataract. Her mom only discovered it because she came to a workshop of mine in uh, Soquel Mountain, in Santa Cruz uh, Mountains. And that was uh, for a nice meeting of 70 Chinese-speaking people who believe in holistic health who came from all over the world. So her mom came from Hong Kong. And her mom generally has very good vision, but she took all of my exercises and started to play with her kids, and she found that one of her kids had very poor vision in her right eye. So she took it to the ophthalmologist, and the surprise, she had cataracts. So wow. I said, okay, the cataracts are dense. Remove the cataract." The mom refused. So she brought it to me for triple sessions, like almost four hours a session. Uh, she didn't mind the cost or anything. She just brought it to me again and again. And I said, well, remove the cataract. I brought it to a doctor to convince her to remove the cataract. The mom did not listen. The year after that, she bought her again. The third year that she bought her, and by the way, that girl had amazing imagination. I could play music, and she was such a nice girl. She allowed me to play the music I like, like relaxing, and music, French music, nothing that a seven-year-old could think about. So she saw me at the age of five and the six and seven. And at the age of seven, she improved the vision from basically 2% to basically 70% vision. It was unbelievable. She couldn't Ooh. see the biggest of letters, and then she could read signs. And that is in spite of that cataract. So uh, it's amazing what you can do with a young mind, with a young brain. It's also <laughs> amazing what you can do with an old brain.
1: Mayor, Mayor we're really close uh, to um, to the end of our program, but let me just tell people that, you, uh, Meir Schneider, is the founder and head of the School for Self-Healing, and it's located in San Francisco, really close to the ocean. You'll love it if you have classes with him there. And, Mier, um, thank you for continuously taking those quantum leaps uh, in, in bridging the capabilities that exist in every single one of us for healing ourselves. Uh, you know, you're really the tops in our book for healing, let me tell you. Um, your website is... Yeah, I was going to say self- that. <laughs> okay, the website is self-healing.com. Again, self...
0: It's it .org. .org.
1: Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Self-healing.org. And the phone number to give me or call is 415-665-9574. I'm going to repeat that one more time four one five six six five ninety five seventy
0: four. Um Mayor's new book and, is uh, gonna be out. Go ahead, Paula. Yeah, and if you're in the Bay Area, be sure to uh go to the East West bookstore on the twenty fifth. So and he'll have brand new books hot off the publisher mm-hmm. line. <laughs> so yeah.
2: before any other store has it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh,
1: That's, Mir. You know what? We're we're just so thankful you're here because let me tell you, we tell everybody about the gifts that you have. Uh, There, it's really miraculous what you do, and um, you know, just uh, give him a call and and tell him what's going on with your body. And let me tell you, (laughs) you'll have some really
0: changes. Well. Pierre, yeah, thank you for being with us today, and uh, we look forward to hearing uh, what Vision for Life is doing. I'm sure it's going to have us, like, jump off the shelf. So <laughs> keep us posted. Isn't it
2: funny that about two and a half years ago, uh, East West was the first store that my book was in, and your show was the first show that I made on my book. Now, two and a half years later, with the second edition, that's the same thing. I guess that uh, those are my two first stations that I go to, and I'm, I'm really proud to be on your show, and I'm really happy to be on your show. And this hour passed so quickly. So thank you very much. Oh, you're Lots welcome. Lots of
0: hugs
1: to you, and thank you for all the work that you do. We'll, do, we'll see you soon.
2: Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Neo.